Welcome to Against the Mob, 5 o'clock news edition. I'm your host, Seymour Butts. I'm in, says Caitlyn Jenner. This week, the Times Woman of the Year has announced that she will be running for the governor of California as a Republican. This is further proof that we are in the upside down, and the simulation theory is the only thing that can explain the weirdness that has become American politics. Democrats are torn in the matter, having to choose between vote blue no matter who or supporting the first trans governor, a milestone in the movement. Republicans are also in the same pickle, because they are now faced with the choice of vote red or hell no, she's not a real woman. Stay tuned to see how this episode will play out and how many votes may or may not shift across party lines. It's tough to say what's going to happen, because at this point, who knows if voters can even think for themselves when it comes to these big national races. So, we shall see. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening, and now sit tight for another episode of Against the Mob Podcast. Hi guys, Matt Billingsley here. After trying to do my best to edit my audio, I have failed, so please bear with me through the next hour plus for this episode. I am greatly apologetic. I'm not really sure what happened. My guess is that I recorded not with my microphone, but it was using my internal mic from my computer and not the external mic that I traditionally use to record um, stuff just like this. So again, I apologize about the audio content or the audio quality, I should say, and hope you enjoy the show and you can forgive me for this little mishap. Joyous day today on Against the Mob podcast, myself, Logan Carpenter, and my good friend, Matthew Billingsley. We're here to celebrate the end of the war in Afghanistan. Amen. After all of this time, all of these years, children who were born before this war began, we can all rejoice together as Americans that the great Joe Biden has ended the war in Afghanistan. (laughs) Thank God. He's ended (laughs) COVID. He's ended the war in Afghanistan. It's like, what can't this man do? Let's not forget the Delta variant. (laughs) But in all seriousness, what we're getting into today, guys, is uh, this current uh, retraction of our troops from Afghanistan, or at least on the surface of it. Um, We're going to talk about it being the longest war, uh, excuse me, the longest American war, uh, and kind of what this is as far as the false equivalency that we all get presented as a two-party system here. Um, The fact that it's it's run through both Democrats and Republicans kind of leads both Matthew and I to believe that it uh, is just another great example of uh, you getting exactly the same uh, cake no matter who you vote for. Uh, We're also going to brush up against the cost that this war has brought upon you as an American 
And uh, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, as sarcastically as I open this podcast, what we really think this is going to look like as far as uh, withdrawal from the Middle East. Uh, does Joe Biden really mean it, or is this just another shuffling of the chessboard? Yep, I think this is going to be a great episode. I know I say that every week, but I believe in us. Before we get going, guys, I would like to thank our sponsor, Lorenzotti Coffee. If you guys haven't checked them out yet, I don't know what you're waiting for because you're missing out. Go to lorenzotti.coffee and use the promo code ATM10 to start your day with a rich, flavorful cup of Italian brewed anarchy. They will deliver it right to your front door in any town in America. So go ahead and just pause this recording. Go order you some coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, then I bet you know that someone um, who does. So order them a present. It's a nice little, hey, I was thinking about you. Here's some coffee. Get all jacked up on caffeine like Americans do. It is healthier and cheaper than cocaine. So um, go to laurenzotti.coffee. Use the promo code ATM10 for 10% off your purchase. All right, so let's get into it. So I guess um, before we even dive, well, actually, I'm going to save that. Let's just push that to the end because I think that's a really good way to end. So as you know, as, as we wind down and with the withdrawal of American troops from this country starts to take place, you know, we wanted to take time to dive into this topic, look at the cost, what was accomplished, and then ask that um, overall question, was it worth it? And what do we get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's what we have to kind of measure all of these things on We're it's a huge cost to go to war that we are there. There's never been a war that only soldiers died on the battlefield. Um, these are horrific things that happened that the sacking of cities from ancient times to even just occupation. Now, um, unfortunately rape and, and pillaging and, and death of civilians is always going to be a part of war. So we need to understand that as citizens, especially in a state that claims itself to be a democracy where you are the voice and the deciding factor uh, that we need to understand what the price uh, of going to war is and what we're doing to these other people and, and decide that if you're going to pay that immense price for war, then it better goddamn be worth it. Right. What's the Roman saying? Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. That's the one I believe I did see that on Rome Total War on my tablet recently. <laughs> it's a great one. I love Rome Total War because it's got all of those little um, general quotes and whatnot at the bottom while in the loading screen. I actually learned quite a bit. Some of, some of those that I like to pull out often, I learned from Rome Total War. So good on them. Some good, good quips in there for sure. Guys. And a very fun game other than the fact of uh, they, the AI just really doesn't understand peace treaties. Uh, you try so <laughs> many times to like set up your seafaring peaceful trading empire and you always end up just having a massive armies and rolling over the mediterranean to murder everybody uh, every every campaign ends the same way it really does um i did try um i tried to play in empire total war online like you know every day you get you get 24 hours to do your turn and i didn't make it very long because when you play against other people it's the game is significantly harder I think I made it like six days and it's like, all right, well, I surrender because I'm done. <laughs> this is true and true with most things. You uh, you get it up against those other people and uh, doesn't quite have the same predictability that a, a computer algorithm has. Indeed, indeed. At so least going, for the time being. Yep. Going back to the algorithm that is war, um, we want to hop into, you know, of course, you know us, we like to set up historical context. And so, you know, why Afghanistan, right? Because this is a war... As Logan said earlier, you know, since 28, since 2019, 18-year-olds who signed up for the military and are deployed to Afghanistan 
will be sent to a war that started before they were even born. And I remember thinking about that when, when the 18th anniversary of 9-11 rolled around. It's like, oh, holy crap. Like now, from here on out, you're going to have children born in a post-9-11 world, right? They have never known the world pre the falling of the towers. And of that demographic of kids, a lot of them are going to sign up for the military and get deployed to a country that they really, you know, outside of that, just um, that secondhand story of what happened, will have no sort of primary sources of watching that on television like you and I had, you know, like like so many Americans did. Like That's all we did that day. And it just mm-hmm. blows my mind that the newest soldiers weren't even alive when that when that attack happened. Yeah, it really uh, brings to mind with me having this been such a, a long campaign that we've had in this area uh, and now spanning over what are we in six of those seven countries that we've rattled off of the list several times. Um, five or uh, six. Five or six of the, of the ones we intend to invade. Um, and with all the technology we have, all the tactics that we've developed, all the, the tools and not to mention the discrepancy between our technology and that of our opponents in this case, why did this war end up being this long of a war? How is it possible that this kept going on? And the only justifiable reason that really pops to my head would be, well, we're looking for precision. We're trying to get rid of the old ways of war that I was mentioning earlier, all the the horrific things that come with it. Um, And unfortunately, we'll get into the numbers later. That just isn't the case. Uh, It's it's not something. So it it raises, uh, gets my conspiracy eyebrow uh, popping up a little bit. Uh, Just wondering, is it intentionally that way? Is that why this is a war on terrorism? Uh, rather than a war on Afghanistan, because a war on Afghanistan would be a swift and decisive victory, whereas a war on terror is something that you can continue to propagate. Mm-hmm. It's like the war on drugs, the war on poverty, the war on terror. These wars have no clear defined enemy. Mm-hmm. And the war on the emus. Shifting. <laughs> yeah, the war on emus. Well, I mean, at least, hey, even even that war has a clear and defined <laughs> enemy. We're here to get the fucking emus, right? That's it's that's fair. And the, like even the, that one. I guess that's less of an ethereal one and more of a, a victory for the birds. That was that is the one of two times the birds have ever won a war. Um, <laughs> that one, and then the uh, Great Sparrow campaign in China. That the sparrows were still there, and twenty million Chinese starved to death. So now you say one of only two wars that the birds have ever won. But I present to you how many wars have the birds ever lost? Because I'm kind of thinking they're batting a thousand at two and zero. Oh. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I can't think of a single. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'll have to do some research and get back to you. Um, but back to this question of you know why why Afghanistan, right? Um, so Afghanistan, of course, was the stronghold of the Taliban and then later Al Qaeda. But you know we then we have to ask the question of like who is the Taliban and where do they come from? And of course, as we've talked about on this show and so many of our liberty minded loving friends have talked about before, the Taliban is a result of blowback from the Soviet invasion of that country, right? So during the 1980s, when the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan, the CIA did what the CIA does best, armed the local resistance groups against the against the Soviet unions. And, you know, that group was collectively known as the Mujahideen, and uh, they led the resistance against the Soviet troops. And guess who one of those leaders were? Ding, ding, ding. You're right. It was Osama bin Laden. So Osama bin Laden has been receiving American training, money, and, um, you know, all sorts of other goodies from the CIA since the 1980s. And we are so shocked when that turns and bites us in the butt. 
And it really shouldn't be because it's pretty well documented that all that training that we gave Osama bin Laden, the express purpose and how to approach uh, fighting the Russians, every single bit of it was kind of this guerrilla tactic where you move back into your own land, recede, almost in the same way that Russia's done to many European conquerors in the past, where you simply use war of attrition. Uh, you get them into something that becomes too expensive, uh, get them too stretched out, and eventually you topple their empire financially, not through a victory on the battlefield, but through a victory in uh, in exacerbating their own resources. Right. It's uh, sucking back, letting the terrain absorb some of those casualties for you, using it against them. And I mean, one, I mean, how far is Afghanistan away from the United States? 6,000 miles, 7,000 miles. I mean, the supply train, one for that, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's a little bit different than it would be like the Napoleonic invasion of Russia, but it's still the same tactics, right? You just fall mm -hmm. back, you suck in, um, and eventually people get tired of getting shot at. And for what, you know, and I think the, the for what is what we're going to uh, really dive into. And the last little part um, for that, you know, of that, what uh, for what I should say is there was a 2014 article. There's several, there's several of them and we'll post them all in the, uh, in the show notes, but uh, title, Rare Earth, Afghanistan sits on more than $1 trillion in untapped minerals. And I think that that was one of those, I remember reading that one at the end of college and saying, yeah, of course we're in Afghanistan for their stuff, you know, because what's, what's, a, what's a more likely story? That we're there to give goat farmers freedom or we're there for your stuff? <laughs> right. There's one story they present to you to justify the war. And then there's a much more realistic incentive driven reason. Uh, and we've all seen the memes. Everybody's seen the one where, oh, you have oil in your country. Sounds like it's time for freedom. And you see the soldier carrying the flag. Uh, it's pretty well documented. And the oil metaphor, I think, is very simplified um, to kind of represent all financial drive uh, or incentives to go into these countries. But it is just a, a small glimpse at what the bigger picture is. I mean, with Afghanistan, it's these minerals. It's also the oil. It's and also the, and the opium, exactly. And, uh, you know, also strategic bases for future campaigns that we have here and there. But there, you know, have, uh, there's a reason that when we pull these troops back, we don't leave the troops in the cities or by the mosque to make sure that the citizens are safe. We leave them in the oil fields and the opium fields, uh, these mineral mines. There, there's, uh, you can clearly tell where your priority lies after the fact when, you know, you can claim democracy for the people as your driving force as you're marching troops in, but when the troops retract from any place where there's actually anything political going on to, to uh, secure the financial side, then, then it's pretty obvious to me what we're actually doing there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just pulling up something real fast. I just want to make sure um, I'm correct on this before I say it out loud. But um, if you look at a map, yep, if you so if you look at a map of where American uh, military bases are in Afghanistan, they actually kind of lie up on, um, you know, a good chunk of them fall on the western side of that country, which just happens to be the side of the country that borders Iran. And then we have some more on the north, which, you know, um, there is a very, very small corridor which touches China, um, even though there's no direct bases over there. You know, they are um, primarily located all in the western part of the country and the northern part of the country. And that's one of those things that makes you go, hmm, I wonder why those bases are there. Right. And I'm sure it looks a lot like that layover map that uh, of disappearances in the United States and uh, caves and tunnels mm -hmm. in the U.S., 
I bet if you took uh, oil fields, poppy fields, and, and mineral mines and lined it up with those bases, there would be a, a pretty similar correlation there. I bet you're, I bet you're probably right. Um, I think that that'd be a really good map to, yeah, to do it. Be a fun, fun layover that we haven't uh, thought to do yet. Yeah, and right. that, uh, that kind of gets us into our next point here. Uh, I'm brushed a little bit on earlier of like the, the idea of the false choice, the dichotomy that doesn't actually exist within America. Um, and that we've seen this war now span four different administrations in the U S all the way from Bush to Obama to Joe by, uh, excuse me, to, um, mighty Trump and then Joe Biden, mighty Trump, <laughs> <laughs> the mighty orange man. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> that, that one caught me off guard. That's funny. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty wild though, to think about that, right? It starts under Bush, um, Obama, who, is given a Nobel Peace Prize. And for the life of me, the only thing that I can think about that why he got a Nobel Peace Prize is he was the first black president of the United States and was this like nice token for race relations improvements. But find me another Nobel Peace Prize winner who has killed that many people, especially civilians, right? And I mean, I don't know if any other person. Yeah, on Hopper. What's that? Uh, Hopper. Are you talking about from yeah. a bug's life? No, 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 no. I'm talking about, I believe it's uh, Franz Hermann Hopper. Hoppe. He, uh, Hoppe. Hoppe. Yeah. Yeah. he uh, Didn't he win a Nobel Peace Prize the same year he got prosecuted for war climbs for his uh, invention of pulling nitrogen out of the soil, which eventually became Zyklon B? No. So uh, Hoppe was a, uh, he's a libertarian philosopher. Oh, not that one then. There's a, a I German. I was like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> no, there's a, a German scientist who created the function for pulling nitrogen out of the air, which essentially refurbished the way that we do fertilization and soil, which circumvented a lot of starvation throughout the entire world, which I believe he won a peace prize for. So we that have same method uh, was, Chris Hopper is his name. There we go. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe in that exact same year was then prosecuted for war crimes against humanity for his uh, assistance in creating Zyklon B to gas all the Jewish people in concentration camps. Huh. I'm going to fact check you might on be that one. one. I'm going to fact check you on that one later. <laughs> I don't have time to dive into it right now, but uh, we're going to report back on whether or not Logan was right in the next episode. And if he's wrong, he's going to have to do something embarrassing for the camera. I don't, I don't know what, but it probably involves twerking. <laughs> uh I don't know if you've seen me twerk, but it's it's uh, anything but embarrassing, Matthew. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, I guess we should be embarrassed <laughs> for watching. <laughs> but uh, but back to back to good old chocolate Jesus, otherwise known as Obama, right? So Obama was the one who actually escalated the war in Afghanistan to its highest level. So at the surge, right? So there was the um, there was the big push at the end of 2010, and that continued through 2012. Um, where they surged American troops in there, very similar to the surge like they did in Vietnam, just not on the same scale. But they pushed troops, to, the deployed troops in that country to right around 100,000. And it levitated there for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, kind of exactly the point I wanted to get to, into. This brings to mind one of my favorite quotes. Uh, and this time I say it non-sarcastically, the great, powerful Thomas Woods. Uh, Tom Woods tweeted out, uh, no matter whom you vote for, you always wind up getting John McCain. Uh, this is being a, a comment on our foreign policy. Um, but I argue a lot with people on this uh, online. I like to chirp at people when I'm trying to do little promotional things for the, the podcast online. And, and the way I usually open it up is by 
telling people, well, what do you, you know, there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans. And of course they come back with, with trans rights or with uh, uh, any gamut of the abortion or all these things that we argue about domestically. And that's kind of when I turn it and say, Hey, you know, I, I was being a little facetious. Obviously there are some differences on the superficial level, but when you really look at it, think about the monetary policy, the way they're spending us into debt, the way they're consolidating power in the government, and especially the way they're murdering brown children in foreign countries, there's really no difference between these two parties. It's it's this false illusion of choice that they like to give you, um, when in reality, the argument you're having is, uh, you know, are you going to vote for the guy that's going to murder people all over the world that's for trans rights? Or are you going to vote for the guy that's going to murder people all over the world who tweets out mean things about people about trans rights? Yeah, it's... um. There's a really good um, meme about that. You know, the trolley, the trolley paradox or um, where it's like, you know, uh, and in this in this iteration of it, it, it's got one track and it's like pulling the lever um, changes the color from red to blue or blue to red. And it's just got the one track and there's all these people lined up getting <laughs> mowed over by the trolley. I think that's probably like the best. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes. That might be the best one. Uh, a close second is got to be the one where uh, the person pulling the lever as well as the person in the trolley car and all the people in the tracks all have the same thought bubble that goes, I wish they all knew the CIA was making me do this. <laughs> I, like that. I like that one too. <laughs> that one's not bad. Mm, no, that's, those are good. I'll see if I can find those and add them in for your uh, viewing entertainment. So I guess let's hop into the more serious um aspect of this, not that um, this is a light subject matter by any means, but, uh, you know, we we really wanted to break down the cost and put this in perspective in terms of like actual, actual monetary, you know, dollars spent and wasted on this war, and then actually dive into like what it's cost us in lives, you know, because those are, and I know that those two aren't on equal playing fields, but at the same time, both both deserve like diving into. And so I found a really good, um, a really good study, which was the Watson Institute of Brown University. And this was recently published. It was published back a couple of months ago. And of course it will be in the show description. But um, according to this study, the war in Afghanistan has cost the U.S. taxpayers $2.261 trillion dollars. I just want to let that number sit in because they're talking about all these infrastructure bills, right? Um, they're talking about, oh, well, we need a $2 trillion bill here. We need a trillion dollar here. To put this in perspective, right, because we're all about, you know, putting it into its proper framework, two trillion, like a trillion dollars right, or a trillion seconds is the equivalent of 31,000 years. If you add that, right, so now we're, now all of a sudden, if you break down dollars into seconds, $2.2 trillion or seconds is the equivalent of like 65,000 years. I mean, that is an astronomical number. And I know I've said this before on other podcasts, but we, I think that we've become desensitized to this, to the T word, right? So, because we talk about millions, you know, and then now, because right, I was you remember when we were kids and a millionaire was this inconceivable human being like there are millionaires out there millionaires and that's become such a a small <laughs> number these days um you know partially yeah. through inflation where a million dollars literally isn't what a million dollars used to be um, but also through exactly like you're saying they've desensitized us when they're telling you the budget they don't say you know they don't put 
a thousand zeros on the screen, they say 32 T, yep. 170 T. And it, it is this sneaky way of, of making you kind of go to sleep on what that means. Yeah. And I think that so many people don't care. I mean, this is related. Um, I think a lot of people don't really understand how much America's fiscal policy is actually affecting them. Right. So there's, you know, I saw someone post something on Instagram talking about like, um, and like uh, the cost of stuff is going up and people that are on like people on fixed incomes, right. This was specifically for dis- like people on disability checks and whatnot, which is an, uh, which is an outrageously low number, right. The fact that the American government says like, this is all you get to live if you're disabled, it, it's atrocious. Right. And so um, I'm first an advocate for reforming that. But then secondly, it's like, yeah, it, that hits those people the hardest. Right. And the problem is with this particular person, it's like, yeah. And guess who you voted for? You voted for all of those blue people in Washington who are devaluing your money right now. Cause it's like, I know that no one wants to hear the libertarian talking point when it comes to like healthcare and dis- disability checks and stuff. It's like, yeah, you know what the problem is? The government and, and, and who we keep voting for. And so just to put this, you know, to dive into how your government has spent your hard earned money, right? The government has right. no money. the same government that if you are left leaning and you think you believe in universal health care paid for by our taxes, think about what two point two six one trillion dollars might have done as far as uh, building a decent health care program. That goes that goes an awful long ways. You know, that's a that's a damn good start um, on a on a on a social on like socialized medicine. Not that we're advocates for it, but just to, you know, that's a lot better. Right. Anyway. I certainly, if there were a, a red button to go to war and a blue button for universal health care, I would certainly hit the blue button. <clears throat> oh, yeah, 100%. And it's like, that's, that's, that's no brainer. If you're going to yeah. steal from me, I'd much rather go to a, a health care system rather than, <laughs> than, than at least I could maybe that. bitch about people getting elective surgeries that I don't think it should pay for rather than us murdering brown children in foreign countries. Right. It's one of those, like, one of those is a lot better than the others. And so, um, so the DOD overseas contingency operations, it's also known as the OCO division, which essentially just means the war division, right? Like that's the budget for actual war. So in this analysis, they found that $933 billion went to this direct fund for war. The State Department was given a nice $59 billion. Um, you know, that's how much they've spent. And I think it's really interesting, though, because if you, if you, if we are there to build nations, right, because it, at first it was, we're here to get Osama bin Laden, and then after we got him, now it's like, hey, we're here to build the Afghan nation. You would think that the State Department, who is involved in nation building, would be a little bit more funded. And so I think that these numbers speak for themselves, right? If we were really there for nation building, perhaps those numbers would be switched. $59 billion would go to the War Department, and then $933 billion would go to the State Department to actually give the Afghanistan, the Afghani people what we were there allegedly there to do. Yeah, but if you didn't spend all that money on precision missile strikes, then we might have actually killed more than uh, exactly how many civilians we killed to operatives ratio. We'll get to that later, but <laughs> it's all yeah. this money. We got we to gotta justify all the new tools we have for, mm-hmm. for the big war that we're setting up for someday. 
Yeah, it's like it's it's these numbers are astronomical right now. I'm just going to keep going through these real quick and then we can move on. So the DOD um, based budget for war related increases. And I, I, I don't really know what that means. Um, shame on me for not doing a little bit more research. But that number equated to four hundred and forty three billion dollars. Um, we have the Veterans Care for Afghanistan War Vets, which is two hundred and ninety six billion dollars. And then we have the interest earned on all of the borrowing, right? This is the one that really grind. I mean, all of it grinds my gears, but this one really made me upset where it's like, okay, cool. Not only have we stolen over a trillion dollars of American tax money, but the interest that on that money that we've stolen on you comes out to $530 billion. And let that be your lesson. If you want to go to war, save up. Don't go borrow for war. Make sure yeah. you have the funds available. <laughs> and the, I mean, that, that reminds me of that, that, that stupid Donald Rumsfeld quote. You go to war with the army that you have and not, uh, and not the army that you want at the start of the Iraqi war. And he died recently. And I found out that from a statement uh, released from the family that he was residing in Taos, New Mexico. And of course, this is all um, hypothetical. But had I known the enemy was in the midst, you know, in a 30-mile uh, radius of driving well i may try to stake out his house i don't know this is all hypothetical of course allegedly allegedly, allegedly right <laughs> blew my mind oh, of course he was hiding out in towels no one would suspect him there of course a <laughs> war criminals hang out in the hippie capital of new mexico <laughs> where he knows everybody's too stoned and busy skiing to worry about it that's that's really it. He actually lived in Valdez, um, which is on the exit of the Towski Valley Road. So if you're coming through Arroyo Seco to the Ski Valley, um, Valdez is that little community to the hill that's like down the hill. And so he's like right there at the exit of the Ski Valley. What a perfect yeah, place to Passing hide. his house all the time. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Not I. <laughs> and sorry, do you have anything to... No, get after it. <laughs> gotcha. And so I pulled this. I pulled this uh, quote from this report and says, "Since in, since invading Afghanistan in 2001, the United States has spent 2.26 trillion dollars on the war, which includes operations in both Afghanistan and Pakistan. Note that this total does not include funds that the United States government is obligated to spend on lifetime care for American veterans of this war, nor does it include any future payments on the money borrowed to fund the war." So that 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 five hundred and thirty billion dollar bill, it's going up. It's going <laughs> up. We're not even done with that one yet. You know, one thing that jumped out to me too, and maybe it's included in these. I didn't look up the numbers as you did, and maybe you know the answer to this. Uh, I'm sh would imagine there is a completely separate development and research uh, amount of money that is not included in all these war departments. That that is simply the the money to wage war, and not the money for next war. Yeah, I bet you're right. I bet that um, I bet that falls under like the you know if we if we could actually get our hands on the Pentagon's budget and uh, not just be told that oh yeah we lose trillions of dollars all the time and we don't really know where it goes. I'm guessing that's you like know where it goes. It goes into making those Tic Tacs we keep seeing in the news. Wait, what is what is this? <laughs> the UFOs. Oh, that's right. That's what those are. Just secret American tax money creating new war machines to be rolled out for the big one. Could be. You never know, man. <laughs> you know, that was also so like just on that note real fast, that was so disappointing when they passed that particular bill. And it's like in 180 days, we're going to tell you about UFOs, 
And then when that day rolls around, it's like, yeah, we don't know anything about the UFOs. Go away. And it's like, cool. <laughs> it's like uh, when we got real excited about the uh, JFK assassination, <clears throat> excuse me, the CIA papers being uh, released. Or what do they say that? Declassified, declassified after 50 years. We were so pumped about that. And then you get the declassified parts and they're like, I mean, we redacted 80% of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, So you're still just telling us jack shit about the whole thing. It's like, but it's declassified. <laughs> now you can see the redacted paragraphs. <laughs> you can see where we took the black marker and just marked out entire pages of what happened. <laughs> but hey, now, but it's declassified. And now you get to know. And <laughs> now you get to stare at that. Uh, and of course, that takes us into the the larger cost of this, the the human capital, um, the deaths that come along with this war. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm sure these numbers even are underestimated because God knows how many people died and, and were never found or their bodies were so torn apart that they were unidentifiable as a body anyway. Um, but it's to the tone of 2,442 U.S. military units, which... Probably kudos to our research and development team we mentioned earlier. I, I was surprised that number wasn't a little bit higher uh, as well. That actually seems kind of low to me. Um, DOD civilians at six deaths. Uh, U.S. contractors, and this is probably where we made up that number there, uh, 3,939, 90 of which uh, being in Pakistan. Um, and that's an interesting one, too. I always think contractors is a very interesting term that we decide to use for uh, mercenaries is, mercenaries is the correct term. They're paid military operatives. I can remember being confused by that when uh, early on in my political awakening, I was reading something about contractors and I was like, they're killing the people that are there building the bridges. Like, <laughs> right. is, isn't that the nation building part? Why would they do kill them? And then you come to find out that the contractors are actually uh, typically ex-military guys that we pay to do the dirtiest shit that we don't want on our hands as Americans. Uh, all, all the disgusting torture things that happen that we wash our hands of and, and say that we're above as Americans. Typically we are able to say that with a sheen of a thinly veiled honesty because we didn't technically do it with our troops uh, that we pulled from American civilians, but rather we paid some guys and they may have happened to waterboard and, and hook up some guys nipples to car batteries. Yeah, I mean, all of that, too. I mean, the whole the whole contractor thing. I mean, there's a lot of I actually know a couple of contractors um, and it's it's wild to hear. And I won't say anything, you know, specific to out anybody, not that, you know, anybody important listens to this. But, you know, you just got to keep uh, got to keep things uh, confidential where they are. But it's like the their mission as U.S. Uh, troops, you know, infantry and special forces deployed to Afghanistan and their missions as contractors were radically different. And one of them was a lot darker, involved a lot more gray area. And the reason that they could operate in that gray area is because they are contractors, not, not U.S. military troops bound by the Geneva Convention, right? I'm a private citizen working for a private company who just happens to have a big old fat DOD contract to go do that stuff, right? And they're, and then also they said they're paid, right? It's like it's a no-brainer, right? I can get shot at in the infantry for pennies on the dollar, or I can sign up with Blackwater or whatever it became, or these other yeah, whatever their new name is. Mm -hmm. That's another fun one you'll notice when you get into this world that we're in is you start doing research on Blackwater and realize that Blackwater's had fifty names because every time they get found out for being torturous nightmares of human beings that it's time to rebrand yeah and now it is uh now it's known as um academy uh, i don't know it's academy academy it's, it's academy spelled with an i 
Yep. Hmm. And it was rebranded um, from Eric Prince back in uh, 2012 after the whole, you know, killing Iraqi civilians with Blackwater and, you know, all, all you know, of that whole shakeup. Branding thing. is a very important part of the mercenary industry because the warmongers back home in America can't just be caught hiring bloodthirsty, murderous Blackwater. Once the word's gotten out to Americans, it's becoming our lexicon of what Blackwater is. So maybe academia or however you pronounce that is a, a more favorable a term for a governor to to come in and, and hire to torture the shit out of people. You're right. It sounds good. Yeah. And it's it's right. So now like back to these deaths and the numbers. Right. So America. And I think that that is probably one of the benefits of that huge um, research and development. Not that I'm pumped about all of that tax dollars going towards, um, you know, researching better and bigger munitions. But it is one of those things like if just to, you know, play the status devil's advocate here, um, if you're going to spend money reducing American deaths, is a, it's probably a good use of that money. Now, of course, not like putting back on my true hat, I think it's a bull, it's an absolute bullshit use of our money. But, you know, just to... Right, a, a much better use of said money uh, if the express purpose is for less troops to buy uh, to die might be to not start fucking wars all over the I would think so, planet. too. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, of all of that stuff, or we, we just didn't start a war, then we have right, a lot more right. money. Um, you're correct in that. But now we get to the more, like, where the brunt of the actual deaths come from, right? And so the, the national military and police, and this is, of course, talking about Afghanistan... That number is estimated anywhere between 66 and 69,000 deaths, plus an additional 9,314 deaths in Pakistan. So if you add those two together, you're looking at like 78,000, um, you know, national police and military deaths for those two countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a little more apt to what I, I would uh, expect. I was kind of the original number of military was kind of low to me, but you can see, I guess it's because they've separated a lot of these out. Um, mm-hmm. That also includes another 1,144 uh, allied troops as well in that. And then my favorite number in this whole one is 47,245 uh, plus another 24,099 in Pakistan. That's the number of civilian deaths. Uh, now, the reason that's so interesting, I mean, one, that's already a high number pushing up against 50,000. Um, but the number of opposition fighters, those terrible terrorists that were there to kill, uh, we managed to take out 51,191 of them in Afghanistan. Uh, the difference in those two numbers is less than 4,000. So in all the drone bombs, all the precision, all the talk of surgical strikes that we have, we still managed to just barely kill more opponents than civilians. Mm-hmm. And the deaths in of opposition fighters in Pakistan, which... You know, um, just a little, this is kind of in the weeds, right? But I think it's important to know, right? So so Afghanistan falls in the, under the jurisdiction of the DOD, right? So everything that is sanctioned and goes on there goes through the Department of Defense specifically. But since Pakistan is technically an ally in terms of, you know, the, 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 the ink on the paper, everything that is operated in Afghanistan has to go through the CIA, so the CIA has operational jurisdiction in Pakistan. The DOD has operational jurisdiction in um, Afghanistan. And it's wild because if we're talking about 47,000 civilians killed in Afghanistan and 24,000 civilians killed in Pakistan versus 
51,000 fighters killed in Afghanistan and 33,000 fighters killed in Pakistan. All of those Pakistani operational, like um, insurgent deaths, opposition fighter death, that is all being ran by the CIA, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really, one, they don't know and they don't understand that there's a completely separate shadow war that is going on in a neighboring country that is an ally that killed, if you add those two numbers together, was that 57, was that, yeah, 57,000 people? And that's, and now all of a sudden, this is ran by the CIA, which who does, who do those people answer to? They're not elected officials. They're appointed people. So now all of a sudden, right. and now, I mean, I guess the DOD is the same way, right? But the DOD is a little bit more accountable to the American public than the CIA. Hey, talk about some go-getters right there. Take an initiative. The Department of Defense, the Department of Defense is on the opposite side of the globe murdering people that might potentially kill you someday. Yep, yep. And you know, it's actually a really great way to illustrate that. Because I read this article maybe about like four or five weeks ago where U.S. Coast Guard boats were fired on in the Strait of Hormuz. And it's like, wait a minute, that's the, that's the, that's in Iran. It's like, what is the Coast Guard? Are we talking about? (laughs) What is the Coast Guard (laughs) doing over there? Man, could you imagine how infuriated you are if you took the Coast Guard on, especially with it, not to disparage anybody who's a Coast Guard member that's, that's listening to this, but there is that stigma of you're taking the Coast Guard so you don't see live action and you end Mm -hmm. up in fucking Afghanistan. Right, it's like, wait a minute, what is it? I actually know a guy who um who signed up for he was uh he was ripe draft age during Vietnam, and so he signed up for the Navy because he was like, Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? We're all getting sent to Vietnam, it's got a bunch of jungles. I'll sign up for the Navy. He's like, What they didn't tell me is that Vietnam has rivers, and in these rivers, we're gonna put boats. And so he's like, I found myself on one of those stupid PP boats getting uh, shot you're at all the time. Praying to God that you're going to be on a carrier firing shells inland, and all of a sudden you're on a fucking raft going up river like a Viking. Yep, that's it. He was he was he was stationed in the Mekong Delta, and he was like, <laughs> no one told me that Vietnam had rivers <laughs> and that the Navy was going. Talk to about nerve wracking. Those uh those rivers. Not that I'm any expert in uh foliage around Vietnam, but imagine there's a lot of trees sitting around those rivers. Lots of trees, lots of trees. Listening for branches snapping. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty nuts. And so just to keep back on these numbers and then we'll um, move forward. It's, if we look at the um, journalist and media workers killed, there was 72 in Afghanistan plus another 64 in Pakistan. And then the humanitarian aid workers killed 444 in Afghanistan and another 105 in Pakistan. So if we add all of this up total, right? So Afghanistan, these are, I think these are very low conservative numbers because I think the civilian deaths and the opposition deaths are probably a lot higher. Um, and probably the national police too, because everyone's, you know, especially the national police have an incentive to keep um, civilian deaths and uh, national police and military deaths down. But so on the low end, these numbers are estimated 175,000 deaths in Afghanistan another 67,000 in Pakistan, which brings us to a grand total of 241,000 dead. Mm, Lovely. But at least we got rid of terrorism. Yeah, thank God. 
<laughs> thank, thank God there's no more terrorists. And the Taliban hasn't been surging and retaking right. all oh, of shit. this territory in the last couple of weeks in this withdrawal. Yeah, good thing, good thing we won. I do want to point out, too, we talked about how close, I mean, within 4,000, specifically in Afghanistan, and I think closer to 8,000, if I remember what we just went over for Pakistan, uh, we didn't kill all that many more operatives than we did civilians. I think it's also a very important point to make that how many of those operatives that we ended up killing were civilians five years before we marched into their home country, before a, an invading force came in. I mean, you want to talk about radicalization, that there's a, a pretty easy way to radicalize somebody. And too often we look at it and we go, oh, this guy was tied in with Al-Qaeda and that's why he attacked America. Or this mass shooter in America was looking at um, this particular guerrilla group, these terrorist organizations, and they, they radicalized them or this church or this temple but that's not what radicalizes people. What radicalizes people is when you murder their family, mm-hmm. when you invade their country and dispose them of their way of life. And that they only come to those groups because of that original radicalization, that, that insurgency math that we always talk about, that it's never minus one, you know, we shot one, that's minus one terrorist. Because you shoot that one, how many brothers did he have at home who didn't quite believe his cause, who, who kept brushing him off as being over the top. He was the crazy uncle of the family. And then he takes a bullet to the back of the head from an American contractor or he gets tortured, has his fingernails ripped off and they get to hear those stories about their uncle. It's a little easier to take up arms and go, well, you know what? I may not agree with everything these, these psychos say, but it's the only force, only true force I can see around me. That's going to stand up to the American empire. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I mean, it shouldn't be something that's difficult for, especially us as Americans to identify with. We just got done with July 4th. That's the holiday we celebrate when we kick the British out of this country. I mean, the rebellion, fighting these invading forces, keeping out these grand powers is the, the tale as old as time. It, William Wallace. I mean, every one of the great stories of our history of, of great heroes comes from them repelling a repressive force that's come in to, to dictate how they should live their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think what a lot of people don't understand and the whole reason that we wanted to dive into this topic for this uh, podcast episode is to show that, you know, um, that the taxes fund genocide and they fund war, right? It's like your taxes. And I know that so many people buy into the social contract. Well, taxes are just the price that we pay for a civilized society. It's like, no taxes are the price that you pay for the DOD to spend $2.26 trillion destroying lives and ruining, murdering, mauling, and maiming over a quarter million people, right? And these are just deaths, right? And so I think that it's like, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the statistic is, but it's like for every death that you get in combat, I think it's like six or seven more are wounded, right? And so some of those wounds are very minor, but some of those are very major, right? They're going to carry lifelong um, consequences, healthcare costs. And so, yeah, so we talked about 240,000 dead. How many more wounded? Right. How many people were just outside that blast radius when that drone strike hit them, hit a hit a wedding. Right. Everybody gets together and they look at it and it's like, well, there's a 79 percent probability that this is probably the guy that we're looking for. So let's go ahead and grease all of these people. Sorry, you shouldn't have been so close to a terrorist. Right. Like how many people are just outside that blast radius that that lost an eye from shrapnel ripping into it, who lost limbs, who who are now going to have a shortened, miserable painful life because of internal injuries because Afghanistan doesn't have the same healthcare system that we do. They're going to die from these in a very excruciating way, right? It's like, I think that nobody actually sits down to think about 
what this actually means in terms of the ground, right? And I've never, you know, I've always been anti-authority, so there was no way I was going to the military. But I've talked to people that were in the military, and, you know, they say that the thing that no one really can put their minds around and no movies will ever, you know, um, portray is, is the violence behind it, right? Like when, when, when bombs start blowing up and bullets start flying around you and your buddy gets hit in the neck and he's squirting blood, and you know, there's it's loud and everyone's screaming. He's like, there's there's no way that you can portray that violence. And I think that the problem with this wind down in Afghanistan, and this is moving forward to the, like the next point, is like as we get to this wind down, we as Americans, this is already a forgotten war, right? The, this has been out of sight, out of mind for so long. But now we say, oh, well, cool, the troops are gone. But guess what? There's still going to be eighteen thousand contractors there. Maybe it's sixteen thousand. I can't remember. There's still going to be over 15,000 contractors in Afghanistan doing what these contractors have been doing. Like this war is not over. We've just shifted the focus. I do want to also make the point before we move on to exactly what it is that we got out of this war, um, that there's even another circle of influence that these attacks have when, when you're talking, I mean, operative deaths also are included in this, but especially these civilians that innocent people just trying to live their lives, uh, you know, that many, a huge number of them were killed and even larger number were probably wounded. What about the people who were around them? I mean, there's influence of that too, this third degree of, of influence where somebody lost a father. How many children were became orphans because they were, you know, maybe they were at a, a babysitter's house and the, the wedding's bombed and, and their, half their family's gone now. Um, how many people have, have been subjected to a world of squalor that they have no chance of ever digging out of because the majority of their family, their house, their assets were bombed by Americans in the name of freedom uh, or oil, if they, they read as many articles as we do? It's, yeah. I mean, I think that that's like, that's a really good segue, man, because it's like, what do we get out of it? You know? And I think that that's a question that we've really got to ask. Right. Big so, question. We talked about all these deaths. So what justifies it now? What do we get out of it? Well, I can tell you um, from, and this is interesting, right? Because it's, this is a New York Times article from 2019. And it pretty much sums up everything that's been going on, especially with the, you know, the announcement of the withdrawal. Because I don't know, if, if people haven't been following the situation, the Taliban has been surging and they have been taking over swaths of territory. That people died and, you know, fought and died hard to actually take from the Taliban to begin with. And now they're just rolling in. I saw this video of, of, the Asca- of the Afghan National Army surrendering. There was a convoy of U.S. trucks, a couple of tanks, big old piles of weapons that were just being tossed in, right? So it's like, this is, like, this is not going well. And this is from a 2019 article. The Taliban are gaining strength. Opium production has quadrupled. Osama bin Laden is dead, and most Afghans still live in poverty. What did your two point two six trillion dollars get you? And I'm sure there's plenty of people who fought for the Afghan army that we helped prop up after the fact, who did believe that we were bringing them democracy, or they believed that there was a better way than this Taliban warlord that they had just had. But there also is. Without a doubt, just mathematically speaking, people who joined that side because they were on the fence and they saw the numbers game. They saw the U.S. military rolling in and they said, I want to be on the winning side. 
in every war, every conflict in man, mankind's history, hell, even when you had the mean girl in school, there was somebody who was doing that exact thing. They were taken aside that they didn't agree with simply because they didn't want to be on the losing side of things. Right. Uh, we know there's even examples of that where people literally vote for who they think will win as the president of the United States, not because they believe in that person, but because they want to make sure they voted for the winner because it feels nice to, to be on the team that won. Um, and obviously, if that was the kind of person they were the first time around, when we withdraw all of our troops and support and the Taliban come rolling in, they're not going to have any trouble being Taliban. They're going to fuck it. I'm, I'm on your side now. I don't want to die. I didn't want to die the first time. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts, right? And it's like, um, it's, it's just wild to think that we've spent all of this money. I mean, it's, it's an astronomical, it's an ungodly amount of money that they have taken from you at and threat even of force. as large an amount of money as it is, it's also uh, not a real picture of exactly how much we spent. Because right. the other thing we talked about there, we borrowed. We borrowed from the Federal Reserve as well as other countries, which means we printed money in this process, which means we inflated the dollar. So while they were spending this astronomical $2.26 trillion, they were also increasing the amount of money that went into the supply of U.S. dollars and therefore decreasing the value of everyone's dollar. So that number could be adjusted to take into the factor of the inflation, and it's probably in a much higher number. It's nuts. It blows my mind. And it, it's one of those things that really upsets, like it's maddening that people would, that one, people don't even know and the two people don't even care because it's like, yeah, well, this is just the price, you know. And this, mm-hmm. I know this is such a li- like a libertarian, like, do 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 talking point, right? Like anybody is like taxation is theft, and yada But it's like I really want to drive home. It's like, guess what your ta- well, guess what your tax dollars has funded? It didn't it didn't fund a new hospital for you? It didn't build you a new interstate system. It didn't build you any of these things that you tell yourself that this is why you pay taxes. Because, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was like six, six, um, you know, six tenths of every penny or like 60 cents of every dollar goes to the Pentagon of your tax dollar, right? So when you break down your tax dollar, over half of it goes to the military. And to do what? And to do what? It bombed brown people overseas? Congratulations. Like, you feel good about paying your taxes? doing your civic duty, saying that this is the price that we pay for a civilized society, it's far from it. And it's time for people to wake up and truly understand yeah. like what this is actually funding because it's not funding hospitals, roads, and bridges. Right, right. And you could even make that argument if you wanted to do this empire building thing. China's kind of gone that route. They they go into Africa and they build roads and infrastructure and and places for, for people to hospitals and, and daycares and now that's all going to be an ugly thing in the future, I'm sure, where China comes in to, to kind of reclaim the land or to say they deserve a piece of it. I know they just did that in, uh, uh, was it Budapest, Hungary, I believe, where they they built a Chinese university there. Uh, and the I believe it was in congruence with the Hungarian government, even at the behest of the mayor saying that he didn't want this to happen uh, because he believed they were going to build some kind of, uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, an area where they claim it as Chinese soil, uh, an embassy. Like an embassy? So they were going to build a Chinese embassy is what the mayor said, and, and China swore up and down they wouldn't. Uh, basically, the first building they put up on their new newly acquired land was an embassy <laughs> to yeah, claim yeah, of for, course. for China. 
which I then thought was hilarious that the uh, mayor renamed all the streets, the four streets surrounding the university that is now Chinese as like uh, Remember Tiananmen Square Boulevard. <laughs> I forget the other three, but your leader looks like Pooh Bear uh, Street, <laughs> which is a great move. But Well, I mean, troll um, them right back. Right. You might, might as well get at them. Um, but yeah, but, I mean, we're, we're going in here, we're spending all this money. We're doing nothing but creating more enemies. Our, our department of defense, though they will claim that they're in these other countries murdering people for your defense, as the case we've always made with this math of insurgency, they're probably exacerbating the problem and even creating the problem that if we would stop trouncing all over the goddamn world, there wouldn't be terrorists against America, or at least it would be tremendously reduced. It would be greatly reduced, right? I mean, just like moving quickly over a couple of these things, because of course, knowing us, you, you mean we got long-winded? No, no way. We're always so short and concise and on point with everything Shocking. we talk about. But I think there's something that's really interesting about it's like now as we as we look back at like what did 20 years of occupation and invasion get us? Well, um, opium production has skyrocketed. Right, because it's really interesting, right? And um, out of all the failures of Afghanistan, the war on drugs, just like the war on drugs here, has been a complete disaster. And, um, you know, um, there's a, I pulled this Washington Post article published in December of 2019, and I quote, since 2001, the United States has spent about $9 billion on a dizzying array of programs to deter Afghanistan from supplying the world with heroin. In dozens of interviews, however, key players in the anti-narcotics campaign acknowledge that none of the measures have worked and that, in fact, many in many cases, it has made things worse, end quote. And then it's and then if we're you know taking this to that next level, if we're there to win the hearts and minds, right, because, you know, one of the guys I've talked to that contractor, he's like, yeah, I was deployed to Afghanistan to win the hearts and minds. And when we lose that, it's the best two places to shoot people. Um, you know, like that's like that's this guy's mentality. Um, and it's like, you know, destroying the opium production was one of the natives' ability to make like good money, right? And I understand that, you know, yeah, sure, I get what opium goes for. It goes into heroin, it goes into pharmaceuticals, which is another reason it's like, oh, I wonder why I wonder why opium production skyrockets where the American and British troops go. Huh. And that has nothing to do with the fact that all these big pharmaceutical companies need this for oxycotton and hydrocodone and all these other painkillers, right? That has nothing to do with any of this. Seems seems like they have it backwards with Pakistan and Afghanistan. If you really want to funnel drugs through America properly, you should give it to the CIA. That history would suggest. Right. And if, I mean, dude, it's when I have to be careful. It's like some of the stories I have in my mind. It's like I don't really want to out anybody um, so I'm just going to table that. I'm going to table that. Um, but it, it, it blows my mind, especially because if you put in historical context, the Taliban has been one of the most effective and best organizations at reducing opium production. And so before, right, because the Taliban had declared that opium was, that it's, it's immoral, it goes against Allah to do all of these things. And so they cracked down hard on opium production. Mm -hmm. And so then I pulled this from another article in uh, July 20, in July 2000, when the Taliban controlled most of the country, its, its reclusive one-eyed leader, Mullah Muhammad Omar, declared that opium was un-Islamic and imposed a ban on the growing opium. 
the United Nations, and now this is just like uh, another article, estimated that opium production plunged 90% between 2000 and 2001. And guess what rose back in 2002? Opium production. Right after the American invasion in October of 2001, guess what started to skyrocket? Opium production. And a a small aside, but I've heard from U.S. troops that Another thing that some a lot of people, especially conservative people, might say, I mean, I guess I shouldn't just say conservative people. A lot of people think this is disgusting. Hopefully the vast, vast majority of people. Um, but in the ilk of a lot of conservatives would say it's a good thing that opium uh, at face value without knowing the Taliban did such a good job of it, that decreasing the supply of opium to the world would be a good thing. Uh, another big thing the Taliban are against as a heavily religious group is sexual relationships with children. And that's one thing that a lot of troops come back with tremendous PTSD because they're defending child molesters, people who have child sex slaves in their home against the Taliban in a lot of these cases. So there's a lot of this murky, you know, the murkiness of war gets ugly quick. uh, And it's not so clear that we're the good guys all the time when you really get into the the weeds on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, this are just like, and I mean, just brush, you know, brushing forward and, moving on um just real fast i just want to put this in perspective and just ask the question right just to think about like what could two trillion dollars have done over the last 20 years here right imagine what type of programs we could have funded and you know logan and i as anti-state anti-government people we are not here to say like yeah yeah we should have given the government two trillion dollars right that's not what we're here to say Let's think about the largest transfer of wealth upwards in our nation's history and probably in world history in these massive bailout bills bills that we did uh, just a a year ago to help out for the pandemic that we so horrifically mishandled as Americans anyway. What if we took that $2 trillion and just gave everybody an even check of that? Would we have needed a stimulus bill at that point rather than giving half of it? Now, granted, when you take $2 trillion and give it to the people, you have to give about three quarters of that to the big corporations as is American tradition. Per, per, the, per the contract, right? But it's like, you know, as libertarians, we're not, we're not here to say like, oh, yeah, we should have given the government $2 trillion to fund these programs. But the thing is, like, they already took your $2 trillion, my $2 trillion. Your, you know, they already took our money. And what would you have rather seen that go to? Would you have rather seen $2 trillion over the last 20 years go to the social program of your choosing? And some of those are very admirable causes, right? Making sure that people have a decent place to lay their head at night. Making sure that people have access to good, clean drinking water, right? How much is it going to cost to fix Flint, Michigan's water problem? Guess what? I know that $2 trillion covers it. And there's a lot left over. There's a lot left over. Think of how many people that you can feed, right? How many homeless people? How many hungry Americans, right? Because we often think about like hungry people. Yeah, well, there's hungry people in my community, right? There's like, there's, there, there's, there's real problems and real issues that need our attention in our neighborhoods. And I think the government is the least effective program to try to tackle those. But if you were going to have to spend $2 trillion dollars, I would much rather see it go to those programs than go overseas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a big part of um, and, and part of what we want to do an episode potentially on in the near future is kind of this idea of defending libertarianism to the normies. Uh, and you'll notice if, if you're like Matthew and I and you peddle your libertarian 
uh, jargon around to all your friend groups, what happens is you get in this bad argument framing of, well, this is what would be potentially wrong with libertarianism. This is what a society without a state uh, wouldn't succeed at great and a, a, a perfect manner. Uh, but that's not the argument. The argument is not that libertarianism is utopia, that you, you, libertarianism anarchy is going to be perfect. The argument is that the alternative is $2 trillion over two decades getting used to murder people overseas. And how many people, if you say, well, America's the bad one, then find me the nation that's the good one. Find me the country that's got this beautiful track record that's done this excellent job that we should model all states on. Uh, and even if you were able to find one decent one, measure that against every other state that's ever existed and the horrors that have come along with them. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm actually really excited about that episode the more and more I think about it, right? Because a lot of people point to like mm -hmm. Denmark or um, or Norway or Sweden or Finland, right? Those Scandinavian countries and say, yeah, it looks, it works there. It's like, well, one, those countries have a population smaller than the metro, like the greater metro area of Houston, Texas. All right. So first and foremost, it's like, if you want to, if you want to make, you know, a heavily subsidized social program work in Houston, Texas, that's, that, that's a lot more feasible than it is for 330 million Americans. Right. And it's just all of the right. I'm, I'm actually really excited about that. We'll just table. Absolutely. Table that we'll get back to that for, for sure. the actual episode. I was about to dive into it. Let's, let's get back to that on another day. <laughs> You're right. No, I think good, good on us. I just want to, I just want everybody to stop and acknowledge that Logan and I have showed self-control and restraint from going on a tangent. Life's about baby steps in the right direction. We're, we're all imperfect beings and we all just uh, work our hardest every day to get less imperfect. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I'd just like to, to, to wrap up that last little point about, you know, what did we get? It's like your tax money funds war. It funds genocide. And it's that just that, that one thing that oftentimes nobody really wants to think about. No one wants to talk about, right? Because this war has been so far removed from the America, right? If you're not actually deployed to that country or have a family member or a loved one deployed to that country, this war has had almost no bearings on your life. I mean, the news isn't saturated with images of Afghanistan like it was in Vietnam, right? There's, there's, there's such a stark difference. This war is out of sight, out of mind. And this is what I was going to start the episode on. And now it's now that we're here to kind of wrap it, wrap it up with a neat little bow. Um, there's over 18,000 Pentagon contractors that will remain in the country. And that just essentially privatizes and downsizes the war, but it doesn't end it. All it does is shift this from an already forgotten war further out of the minds of most Americans. Right. And, and, this is something that you see a lot. We're bringing, we're bringing troops home and they are bringing troops home. They're also sending yeah. more troops over. They're also hiring mercenaries. They're, they're also sending troops to other countries while they're doing this. Um, and that's kind of the teaser we were getting at there when we were talking about, you know, is this for real? Is this actually a withdrawal? Um, Matthew and I were both pretty big advocates of getting the fuck out of the Middle East. Doesn't seem like we're doing anything good over there anyway. We're just uh, ruining states allowing for open slave markets to exist once again and, and funding and empowering terrorist forces. Um, but it's absolutely nuts. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we wanted to get at here. If, if Joe Biden pulls every troop we have out of, out of Afghanistan and reduces the number of contractors and legitimately makes an effort to stop the wars in the middle East altogether, uh, or even in just one of these goddamn countries would be a great start. I will give him all the credit in the world. But I don't believe that that's the case. I think we're going to see a lot of what we kind of saw with uh, Trump. Trump was 
at least openly wanting to bring the troops back. He talked a lot about of it, about it, and, and set some things in motion. Um, and whether he was either too ignorant to understand the task at hand and the uh, opposition of the military industrial complex to his plans, or whether he just didn't really care, uh, much like I think he addressed the wall on our southern border, where I don't think he truly ever intended to really build one, but rather it was a good way to fervor votes through uh, his own rhetoric. Uh, nothing happened. We we talked about bringing troops back. We brought a few back. We really shuffled a lot around, and the numbers never really changed, and we still have a presence there. And I think that once again, uh, looking back at our lessons of history, uh, because the Democrats and the Republicans are really the exact same party and have the exact same aspirations of increasing the American empire, I don't expect this to change. No, not at all. And it's, it's just, and it's a, I think it's a really interesting catch 22 as well, right? Because we can talk about, yeah, we need to end the war in Afghanistan, but what's interesting that we didn't dive into it and I'll just, you know, bring it up here and I'll let you guys do your own research or we'll, or we'll revisit this in the future when all of this goes to shit, which it will, is that there's a lot of people commenting saying like, yeah, the war in Afghanistan is not great. Right. I don't think any, there's really no, even like military generals and leaders and thinkers are like, yeah, you know what? This isn't good. I don't, I, there's no like outspoken supporters of the war in Afghanistan anymore, even, even, even in the Pentagon. But what the, but now the argument is, yeah, but if we stop now, what is the damage that's going to do? Right. And so, and there is that, therein lies the catch 22, right? For me, it's one of those things that's like, ah, whatever. We shouldn't have been over there to begin with. And, you know, we, but, it, but it's tricky though, right? Because if you are going to spend 20 years and two, $2 trillion of American tax money destabilizing and destroying the country, like what obligation do you have to those people, right? Because like something that's been, been reported on a lot is there's a lot of people that helped the U.S. military, right? They were informers, they were advocates, they were allies in the area. And now that the American withdrawn has officially begun, they've been scrambling to get out of the country with them. And the DOD, there was a, there was a spokesperson on, um, I think it was a Michael McConaughey show. He was talking about like maybe like sometime last week, I can't remember what day, but they were talking about, yeah, there's this flood of applications to get out with the American government and the DOD just isn't, they're not processing them. And in the time that it takes to process, it's like, it can take up to 18 months to process that paperwork. So now it's like people have mm -hmm. risked their life, limb, liberty, and property to help the American mission. And now that we're withdrawing, we're saying tough titties, good luck, figure it out. The Taliban's already started sending death threats to these people and their family. People are already going missing. And so it's like, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's that weird catch 22 that, that even though, if we do pull out, which I'm all for, there's this residual effect of our, of our immediate involvement, of our initial involvement that deserves to be rectified, right? And it's like, I'm not down with that involvement to begin with, but it's like, we should also probably help the people that helped us on our godforsaken mission to begin with. It's, it's just so wild, right? And, there's, and there's, I, I guarantee you that uh, the reason we hire contractors is to do things that American troops cannot do from a legal sense without pissing off the rest of the world. So those contractors are not being left there to take care of civilians. I guarantee you that much right now. I also want to bring up again, this false equivalency, this argument that uh, say in the same way that I talked about libertarianism gets compared to utopia. I think a lot of times these withdrawals from wars get the same treatment where it's, the idea is 
the damages of getting out of the war versus the damage, uh, the uh, cost of us staying in the war. The part they're leaving out are the damages from us staying in the war. How many terrorists have we created? How many civilians? We've killed so many fucking civilians over there. How can we now stand up and go, I mean, if we leave, a lot of civilians are going to die. If we stay there, a fuck ton of civilians are going to die. They already have. We're killing civilians left and right. We don't give a shit about that. So to stand up on our high horse now and act like that's the reason that we can't pull out of this war because we're trying to protect these civilians, you killed as many fucking civilians as you did operatives. And all of our blood's on every American's hand especially those of us who have supported the wars in the past. And I'm guilty of that myself. When I was a young man and we marched in there, I was all for it. I figured somebody needed to die for 9-11. And here we are now. Here we are now with countless women and children that have been murdered in the streets who had nothing to do with this, who were just trying to live a peaceful life, who were unfortunate enough to live in an area uh, that was oil, mineral rich, uh, or that happened to have a a group that we deemed terrorists that opposed the mighty empire that is America. Point well made. That was good, man. That, that was good. Glad you enjoyed it. I got a little fired up. My heart's beating. I think no. I got to the end of this Lorenzotti coffee and I started getting jazzed up. Yeah, no. <laughs> no I feel you, man. And that's the that's the hard thing about these conversations is it makes me so irate that it can be hard to address these in like polite company, right? Because there's a lot of things that I talk about in the day-to-day world that I can't get as fired up as we can on this podcast. And so I'm thankful for this, this outlet because it is, it's just fucking outrageous, right? There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Right. And it's like, not only, not only did our 20 year involvement cost us trillions of dollars, ruin countless lives. And then, right. And it's, it's one of those, yeah, we put a bow, we put a bow on the number 240,000 dead. I mean, how many, how many Americans come back scarred? because of the things that they, their government ordered them to do and they did to survive and get home, right? Because it's one of those things, like it's easy to just condemn all of these people, but a lot of people get wrapped up in the in like the fervor of patriotism and they get sucked in and they get sent to a country and it's like, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, back to these, these friends I have, it's like, yeah, you know, when I signed up for the military, Man, as soon as I got over that country, none of that mattered. I was just like, holy, I have I have nine more months on this godforsaken hill, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I get out of here alive. And you know, and then all of a sudden, like the the whole mission building, it goes right out the window. And it's like, I'm just here to survive. And so it's like, yeah. how many that hierarchy of uh hierarchy of needs as a human yeah. being? Uh number one is keep your ass alive. That's that's it. That's the bottom of the that's pyramid. the base of the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> it's the base of the pyramid. <laughs> Food, water, shelter, security. And if, and if you're thrust into a war situation, then security is a high priority. And so it's like, I mean, how many American soldiers now do we have to front the bill for their their rehabilitation, their treatment? Right. I mean, we're this isn't even including like how many suicides occur every single day. Right. It's like most most suicide victims are male overwhelmingly male and I, I think off the top of my head it's like it's like four out of five suicide victims are male and of those four out of five a lot of them are former military you know because there's no support system so now we send all of these young men and women to go over there and fight a war that means literally nothing to anybody except those who line their pockets and we're going to destroy lives and you come back and there's no support for you good luck Thanks for your service. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's one of those things. It's like you want to thank veterans. You want to thank the military for their service. Stop sending them to these fucking wars. That is the best way that you can thank them for their service. Stop deploying them to these places. That is the right. best way. 
stop making them demons. There's a, there's a reason people spit on them when they come home and, and hate them. And, and, and uh, from the civilian standard, of course, the, the government should, you would hope any state that's going to subject men to the horrors of war would then take care of them for the rest of their lives afterwards. But they don't. But, and, and not only that, they, they make them do atro- atrocious things. We've got them in unjust wars and it's turned the people against their own military. In this land of the people for the people by the people. We don't, none of us uh, seem to agree with what the military is doing and who they're killing. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, I think that we can just kind of like wrap up on this. Uh, we can just wrap up right here, right? It's like yeah. looking back. Yeah, I at, wanted to. No, go ahead. I did want to, I did want to come to a, just kind of a final thought of, of that old adage that the best revenge is a life well lived. Um, I think that we're never going to turn. Nobody's ever been turned from a blood feud by more blood. The only way that's ever going to end is if one side's completely eliminated. Um, that you, the only real way to change the hearts and minds of people is to show them a better way of living. That if you have an unbelievable, undeniable, better quality of life, and you can show that to them, and obviously it's difficult because there are places like North Korea where it's it's very hard to get this kind of propaganda in there to let them know that there's a better life. But I don't think you're ever going to do it by bashing them over the heads. Um, I think we need to learn our lessons from history that we talk a lot about uh, the United States as the new Rome. And that's not something me and Matthew came up with. That's something a lot of historians point to that we're the new empire that that spans the world. And yet we failed to learn the lessons of the greatest empire to ever span the world uh, prior to America, that we still squabble with these smaller states in the same way that they went after the Carthaginians and the Gauls and the Germanics, and they pissed off all the tribes around them. What's the result of this ultimately? What's the lesson we learned from empire? It's that as soon as you lose a little step, as soon as you have a chink in the armor, then all those guys are coming. Hannibal's coming over the Alps with the elephants. The Huns are riding into Rome, taking the streets. You're going to create blowback. It's pretty well documented at this point. Uh, There's no argument I've seen to convince me otherwise. When you kill people on their ancestral lands, it does nothing but create radical terrorists against you. Well said. Well said. That was a, was a damn good monologue, son. <laughs> That's all the knowledge I got for today. So you go ahead and take us home now, Matthew. Well, guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Um, I mean, Logan and I knowing us, we're coming back to this whole war thing because it is one of the most atrocious things that our tax money goes to. And I'm certain that we'll be picking this one up in about half a year when we look at what has actually happened in Afghanistan. But I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of Against the Mob. As always, Logan Carpenter, Matt Billingsley. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in some sort of iteration of Against the Mob. Go check out our coffee sponsor, Lorenzotti.coffee. You know, um, help support the show, help support a small business. And remember, guys, as always, we fight against the mob with people over politics. See you next week. Show me, don't tell me, motherfuckers. (laughs) 